0: U.S. military brought in to bolster, fight against ransomware, and Missouri governor's hack accusation loses steam. These stories and more in this week's ISMG security report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. The U.S. government, for the first time, has confirmed that military resources are being brought to bear to fight ransomware Joining me to discuss is Matthew Shorts, executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe. So Matt, this seems like a notable development. Crime doesn't usually get tackled with the military, does it?
1: Definitely not. I think if this was a physical type crime and you were seeing the army deployed in the streets, for example, that would be unpalatable to many people. But as we are operating online, governments are having to find new strategies. So we have seen some past examples where military resources have been brought to bear on targets overseas in a digital capacity. For example, after the 2016 election interference that the White House attributed to Russia, apparently U.S. Cyber Command in 2018 was tasked, that's military speak for told to go do it, right, Uh, to go after Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg, which was a troll farm which had been tied to the 2016 election interference. Now, over the last year or so, multiple security experts have been urging the U.S. government and allies to conduct similar online strikes against ransomware operations. And it seems like that is now happening. In October, for example, Tom Kellerman at VMware, who is part of a group that advises the U.S. Secret Service, said that the U.S. government had taken the gloves off when it came to going after criminal operators overseas who were behind cybercrime and ransomware. And now this past weekend, as you noted, General Paul M. Nakasone, who's the head of Cyber Command, as well as the National Security Agency, confirmed it. He said, the first thing we have to do is to understand the adversary and their insights better than we've ever understood them before. He was speaking with the New York Times on the sidelines of a national security conference. And he added that with a number of elements of our government, we have taken actions, he said, and we have imposed costs. So this bespeaks the US government using, it appears, military, perhaps also intelligence agency resources to. Catalog, track, perhaps attempt to identify operators involved in these types of activities. And Canada this week also revealed that it's doing something very similar with the Communications Security Establishment, which is their sister agency to the NSA. It said that they are bringing tools to bear to impose a cost. That's their language, impose a cost. And it said we can confirm that we are using those tools that we have for such purposes and working with law enforcement where appropriate to battle cybercrime.
0: So this isn't just a US phenomenon?
1: Definitely not. And we've been seeing this as well, for example, in Ireland, Craig Jones, who's Interpol's director of cybercrime, speaking at last week's annual cybercrime con put on by the cybersecurity firm Group IB, said that Interpol's been coordinating a number of operations targeting ransomware actors. One example has been Ireland's response to the Conti ransomware attack in May against the country's National Health Service, which disrupted healthcare in the country for months. Here's Jones describing what's been done about that. Interpol
2: facilitated the identification and takeover of the attacker's command and control server in the Ukraine and supported the post event disruption activities led by Ireland on that criminal infrastructure. That operation is still ongoing and there is more to come
1: in the future.
0: So what does it actually mean to impose costs?
1: That's the million dollar question, right? So the best example I could think of was, like, if you have a toddler and they're in the middle of a toy shop and they're throwing a tantrum and you say that you've given them a timeout, you don't really call that imposing costs, do you? You say, we gave the toddler a timeout. But this is the government and they don't really want to reveal exactly what they're doing or what the capabilities of their intelligence agencies or military might be, they want this to remain a somewhat more vague threat against criminal actors, threat actors, as they like to call them, or anybody who wants to maybe get into the game. So really they're telegraphing the ability to disrupt operations. And we've also seen a steady tempo of individuals being identified, indicted and arrested pretty much anywhere except for Russia and its neighbors because they don't have extradition policies. Now in the bigger picture, this is also a crisis communications type thing. If there's a data breach, for example, with the company that you do business, you don't necessarily from the get-go need to know everything about that breach. You want to know that the company is doing something about it. Same with the government. If there's a threat like ransomware, you don't need to know the nitty gritty, but you want them to step forward and say, We see this as a problem, we're doing something about it, and we'll let you know when we have these people in court or locked up, that sort of thing. So it's good to know they're on the case.
0: And Matt, do we actually know when imposing costs is likely to translate into deep-sixing ransomware groups or even imposing more incarceration?
1: No, and with cybercrime especially, FBI agents, for example, have told me that building cases can easily take months if not years. Before they indict someone, they need to have copious amounts of very technical evidence gathered and also explained in a lucid manner that a non-technical expert, like a judge, can understand. So for example, Canada on November 30th arrested a suspect tied to an April 2018 malware attack against State of Alaska systems, as well as for what officials said were multiple ransomware attacks. So other attacks involving ransomware. So that particular case reveals at least a three-year lead time. And this is for a suspect located on friendly soil. So you can imagine that many cases will take years to come to fruition, if ever.
0: But do we have any evidence that imposing costs will suddenly take a big bite out of cybercrime and especially ransomware?
1: Again, that's a great question. Criminals keep innovating. So although the U.S. government is saying we're going after them more than ever before, criminals could be saying, We're coming up with new ways to extort your businesses more than ever before. Now, another way to look at this, though, is time is money. Also, in the criminal realm, another weak spot is trust. And law enforcement and intelligence agencies can target that trust by trying to sow division, by running psychological operations. We saw that to an extent with the apparent Western government disruption, we're not really sure who did it, of the revil. AKA Sojournokibi ransomware infrastructure. It got knocked offline in July. One of the main admins disappeared. Another one tried to reboot the infrastructure and in short order, things kind of started to fall apart. And the brand now looks to be burned. This is a good thing. The people who were doing business as Reval have now got to make the time and effort to set up something new and to try to recruit or re-recruit affiliates. So by costing attackers time, and targeting trust, governments do have multiple ways to impose these types of costs. Anything that makes criminals' lives tougher, or the individuals involved more likely to make mistakes leading to their identification and potentially incarceration, is a cost to be celebrated. How quickly might all of this take effect? We'll have to wait and
2: see.
3: You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
0: Newly revealed details show that Missouri's governor knew that journalists were not at fault for alerting the state to a security flaw. Does this prove that researchers can still face a hostile response even when responsibly disclosing a flaw to an organization? Jeremy Kirk, Managing Editor of Security and Technology, investigates.
2: Remember Missouri's mad governor who accused a journalist of being a hacker? Emails obtained by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch are taking some steam out of the accusation. To catch up on the background, in mid-October, Missouri's governor accused a St. Louis Post-Dispatch reporter named Josh Renaud of malicious hacking. The reporter had alerted the state to exposed social security numbers within the HTML source code of a state education website. So, source code for any website can be viewed using a tool present in web browsers. The social security numbers weren't visible on the regular web pages. The exposure was related to a web application that allows people to verify a teacher's certifications and credentials, which is searchable using social security numbers. Prior to publishing a story, the newspaper informed the state of the exposure, which it fixed. But fury ensued after the Post-Dispatch ran a story about it. In a news conference on October 14th, Missouri Governor Mike Parson accused the reporter of malicious hacking and referred the case to the Missouri State Highway Patrol, where it remains under investigation. Parsons said the reporter took the personal information of three educators and, quote, decoded the HTML source code and viewed the social security numbers of those specific educators, end quote. During that news conference, Parson took the situation much further and there appeared to be more grievances in play. He accused the St. Louis Post-Dispatch of intentionally trying to embarrass the state and that the data leak was part of the paper's, quote, political agenda, end quote. Parson didn't stop there. He also accused the newspaper of using the incident for profit. He said, quote, They were acting against the state agency to compromise teachers' personal information in an attempt to embarrass the state and sell headlines for the news outlet, end quote. So now, emails obtained by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch under freedom of information laws revealed that the state had actually planned on thanking the reporter before it chose to pursue prosecution. Also, the local FBI bureau dismissed the incident, saying there was no intrusion. Contacted on Sunday, a Post-Dispatch spokeswoman didn't answer a question as to whether Renaud had been charged, but in a statement, the newspaper's president and publisher Ian Cazzo said the emails show there was no network intrusion. Cooler heads will likely prevail in this situation, and hopefully Renaud will not be charged. But it's an extraordinary one that should have never happened in the first place. It shows that security researchers can still face a hostile response, even when responsibly disclosing a flaw. It also shows how in America's bruising political climate, a state's top official will let no situation go to waste and distort it for political benefit. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk.
0: And finally, our very own Steve King, Director of Cybersecurity Advisory Services for ISMG's Cyber Theory, has just been appointed a member of the Forbes Technology Council. Do catch his interview with our Senior Vice President of Editorial, Tom Field, where he discusses the role, his passion for Zero Trust, and new initiatives to expect from Cyber Theory in 2022. But back to Zero Trust. What's the pressing need for a Zero Trust strategy?
3: Zero Trust is a strategy. It's a methodology, if you will, that enables two things to happen. One is you're able to modify your own threat landscape to such an extent that it makes it very, very, very difficult for intruders. And secondly, you're able to do this incrementally so that there's no rip and replace element involved. The whole objective here is to force companies to identify their critical assets, to create small protect surfaces around those critical assets, to use existing technology to micro-segment those away from the broader network, and by doing so to reduce the overall attack surface, remove excessive trust from the network, increase the density of identity management, authentication proofing protocols, so that you increase the level of confidence you have in before you grant access to Tom Field, who claims to be Tom Field, but he's not actually Tom Field, he's a packet and inside that packet is a bunch of code and there are no human identities, they're all packets. And then our ability to do that is going to increase the difficulty for a fake Tom Field to get into the network.
0: That's it from the ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.